Welcome to the teaching ministry of Paseo del Rey Church in Chula Vista, California. We invite you to open up your Bibles as we join Pastor Gary Bowman for today's message. And angry, and I get mail after messages, and sometimes I don't want to read it. Uh, but I always do if someone signed it. If they didn't sign it, we don't read it. But uh, this week I got a card in the mail, and it was a handmade card. And I, ju- I absolutely love this card. And, and so look at the front of the card, and what do you see on that front of the card there? You see something that King Saul had, right? In our first message, we talked about King Saul and how he hurled swords at other people. And how our, our, our thought was is don't become a Saul to the Sauls in your life, right? So someone cooked up and created this beautiful card for me. And I love what's on the inside. Thanks, Pastor Gary, et cetera, et cetera. But here's what I liked, really loved about this card, their honesty. They said, this past week or so, I have undergone the strange and unsettling experience of dodging spears in the workplace. <laughs> I'm not sure how startling that is, for sure, really, right? But it is unsettling. And the workplace is one of the places that we get spears thrown at us and that we're tempted to throw spears back. And, um, you know, it's, it's interesting that anger, bad and anger, comes in all different sizes and shapes and flavors and colors. It comes gluten-free. It comes dairy-free. It comes sugar-free. But it never comes bad-free, our bad and anger. And our bad and anger comes in all different shapes and sizes. It can become, it can become a, a, um, um, paperclip size, you know, grumpiness and grouchiness and irritability. That's, that's bad anger. Or it can come like switchblade size. It can be that person that's pugnacious or when I'm argumentative or when I'm sarcastic or I'm... Sin- um, I'm, I'm cynical. That's that switchblade size. Or, man, it can come spear size, can it? It really can. When um, I'm abusive and I'm loud and I'm a bully and I let my meanness be known. It comes in all shapes and sizes, our bad and anger does. But it's always bad. And our anger can be really quiet. Our anger can be really muted. Some of us are experts at expressing our anger in such quiet and soft ways. But everyone around us knows that we're seething inside and that we're angry and, and our short answers and are our, 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 our not engaging with that person. Even though we don't shout and yell like some of us do, that, that quietness can be that same kind of anger. But all of this bad and angry, it never is bad free. James says something like that in James chapter 1 up on the screens. We see it. Let's read this together, this description that helps us to remember that our human, our bad and angry, never produces anything good. So let's read it together out loud. My dear brothers and sisters, take note of this. Everyone should be quick to listen, slow to speak, and slow to become angry. Because human anger does not produce the righteousness that God desires. God desires to produce 
rightness living for him in, inside of us and in our lives and our relationships. And what he's saying there so clearly to us that our, our bad and angry, our bad and angry never produce the righteousness that he wants, that he requires, that he desires. But it, isn't there something that's like almost fun about being angry sometimes? In fact, sometimes when I've been angry about something and, and I've had this wonderful thought, don't express your anger that way, I've almost felt a little disappointed because I've got some really good comeback lines, you know? And I've got some, I just think, oh my gosh, there's just something that, that feels good sometimes about being bad and angry. One of my favorite Christian authors, a guy named Fra- Francis Buchner, has this great quote about this kind of bad and anger. is possibly, put it on the screen, here's what he says. He says, of the seven deadly sins, anger is possibly the most fun. And you think about it sometimes. It really is. I'm going to get that person back. And I just can't wait to get. Now, you never say that. You you never express it. But but there's that feeling inside. Of the seven deadly sins, anger is possibly the most fun. Ooh, I love how he describes it. To lick your wounds. To smack your lips over grievances long past. To roll over your tongue the prospect of bitter confrontations still to come. To savor the last toothsome morsel, both of the pain that you've been given and the pain you're giving back. In many ways, this is like a feast. It's this wonderful meal. It's a feast fit for a king. Yeah, I'm royalty. And my, uh, my desires, my commands have been stopped by you. So there's going to be a feast and I'm going to eat you alive. Buchner says, though, the only problem is... Uh, The only problem is, this is a slow slide for some reason. He says, the chief drawback is that what you are wolfing down at the feast is yourself. So your anger not only eats the other person, but even more so it eats you. It eats you physically, and it eats you emotionally, and it eats you spiritually. And anger has a way of giving birth to to more anger. And that's why we, we say sometimes, we say that person is, that person is always angry. Well, they didn't start off always anger, angry, but anger gives birth to more anger in our lives. And when we enjoy this meal, like has been described here, the chief drawback is that what you are wolfing down is yourself. And then the next line, it says, the skeleton at the feast is you. This very thing that we think is so satisfying and so tasty. At the end of the meal, the skeleton is us. So we're going to talk this morning about bad and angry, about our anger. We're going to talk again about good and angry, God's anger. And so what I want you to do is to turn in your Bibles first to the Gospel of Luke. Luke chapter 6. It's on page 1034 in the Bible that's there uh, by you. And here's a principle that's going to go through the whole message. And the principle is this, is that when you are angry, whether it's good and angry or bad and angry, your anger is expressing what is most important to you. When you're good and angry or you're bad and angry, what in your who you value, what and who you think is most important is expressed in your anger. And what I want to say to you is that your anger, your your argumentativeness or your 
bullying people or your, or your vengeful spirit or your bitterness. It's just really a symptom. It's a sin, but it's a symptom of a sin beneath the sin. There's something deeper down inside of us, inside of our hearts, that when we are good and angry or when we're bad and angry is expressing what is deep down inside of our hearts. And, 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 and the solution to our bad and angry is not some techniques about how to count to 10 when you're angry or how to get rid of the people in your life that make you angry, although sometimes that seems like a really good solution. But that's not really the solution at all. You know the solution to your bad and angry? It's a heart transplant. It's a new heart. Because something is wrong with your heart and something is wrong with my heart. And that's exactly what Jesus says in Luke chapter 6, verse 45. We'll pick it up in the middle of the passage. One verse, uh, Luke six forty-five. A good man brings good things out of the good stored up in his heart. And an evil man brings evil things out of the evil stored up in his heart. For the mouth speaks... What the heart is full of. And so when we explode in bad and angry, when we seethe in bad and angry, that's a sin, that's, but it's just a symptom of something that we have stored up inside of our hearts. That it's not angry, bad and angry is not something we do. Bad and angry is something we are. There's something busted and broken in our hearts. And our anger is always an expression of what we value most, of what we, what we think is most important in life. And we're going we're gonna to see this over and over again. Now, uh, to keep that principle in mind and go to the book of, in the left, the left in your Bibles, the Gospel of Mark. And we're going to go to Gospel of Mark chapter, uh, chapter 3. Now, here's a story that will illustrate that um, how anger is an expression of what is in your heart, what you value, what is most important to you. And in this story, we're going uh, to see Jesus, God, and then we're going to see a, a, a man who's kind of uh, the subject of the story, and then we're going to see a group of other people, the Pharisees. Now, I want you to watch Jesus and see what he is good and mad about and how it expresses what is most important to him and you're going to watch the Pharisees as they express their bad and angry that you're going to see what's most important to them in their hearts. So Jesus is uh, up by the Sea of Galilee, uh, and he comes to a synagogue in chapter 3, verse 1 of the Gospel of Mark. Another time, Jesus went into the synagogue, and there was a man there with a shriveled hand. So there is this, this human being who like all human beings, was created in the image of God. Now, absolutely for sure, that the image of God in that man had been marred and scarred by his own sin. Um, I, I too, and you too, are, 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 are human beings that God has created. And the difference between God creating you and me and everything else that he created is that only in human beings did he build us, make us, create us in his image. And all of us, every single one of us, every single person on the planet, every Jew, every Hindu, every Buddhist, every Christian, 
are all created in the image of God. Now, has that image of God gotten twisted and scarred? Absolutely. In me, and in you, and in every Buddhist, in every Hindu, in every Jew, in every Protestant, Catholic, whatever it is, it's all been messed up. But we are all created in the image of God. Every heterosexual, every homosexual, every transsexual, every bisexual, every Q-sexual, every, every person's sexual orientation that has a, has a different sexual orientation, we're all created and remain in God's image. Now, is it, is it twisted and marred? It certainly is in me, a, a heterosexual. And it certainly is in the homosexual. And it certainly is in the transsexual. It is all twisted. But we all remain in the image of God. Every single one of us. Isn't that awesome? Every single human being is of infinite value to God. And he wants to rescue them and to bring them back into their family and to straighten out, as it were, to iron out and make more beautiful the image of God that's in them, that they're, they're made in, so that, so that they shine like he shines. Every single human being on the planet. Can't say that about horses. I like horses. You can't say it about dogs. I love certain kinds of dogs. <laughs> particularly golden retriever kinds of dogs. You can't say that about dogs. And I love them. And you can't say it about mountains. And you can't say that about trees. I love mountains and I love trees. Only human beings are made in the image of God. So, so Jesus comes to the synagogue and there's a man there who's made in the image of God. I don't know if he's a Christian, a Jew. I don't know if he's a Hindu. I don't know if he's black or white or yellow or green or purple. I, I don't have any idea. I don't know if he's a Republican or a Democrat. I have no idea whatsoever. But he is valuable to God, right? Why is he valuable to God? Because he was created in God's image. So we come. Another time, Jesus went in the synagogue, verse 1, and a man with a shriveled hand was there. Here was a man who was suffering, just like all of us suffer. And he happened to be suffering from something physically wrong with him. Some of us have physical ailments. Some of us have psychological ailments. We have, all of us have spiritual ailments. This man is ailing. He's hurt. Now, some of them, that's the Pharisees we're going to see in a few moments. Some of them were looking for a reason to accuse Jesus. So they watched him closely to see if he would heal this harmed, this, this, this man made in the image of God who is suffering these guys are sitting in court over that man, watching. They don't care a damn, and I use that word on purpose. They don't care a damn about that man. There's something else they care more about. And their anger is going to express what, they, what it is that's important to them. What's, what's more important than this human being made in the image of God? They, they've got a, they have another agenda, right? And so here is this man made in the image of God, but he's not quite as good as they are. They're superior to him. They went to the right schools. They know the right Bible verses. And their hands are not shriveled. None of them have a shriveled hand. And so they're superior in a whole lot of ways. They're good Jews, or they're good this, or they're good that. And so they, are, they, they have this superiority, and they want to maintain their superiority. They want to maintain their status. They want to maintain and gain more. What is it that they... They don't want a new kid on the block, Jesus, coming and 
and, and becoming the superstar because they're the superstars. So they want to keep their status. And so instead of being concerned for this human being made in the image of God, broken, just like you and me, instead of being concerned about him, they're going to watch what Jesus is going to do because Jesus could threaten their superiority. Jesus could, could take away their prominence. He could take away what's important to them. And they are feeling this sense of displeasure about something that matters to them. And Jesus is feeling pleasure about something that matters to him. And we're going to have this conflict here very, very quickly. Some of them were looking for a reason to accuse Jesus. So they watched him closely to see if he would heal him on the Sabbath. Jesus said to the man with the shriveled hand, stand up in front of everyone. Oh, those guys go, oh, here he goes. Here he goes. They were seeing this man as simply an it. And Jesus saw this man as a person. Then Jesus asked them, tell me. What is lawful on the Sabbath, to do good or to do evil? Now, what's he talking about? Should I heal this man? That would be doing good. And to not heal this man would be to do evil. You've got to get that. Jesus isn't saying this is an area of gray. This is an area of black or white. So to care about this human being is either to do good to him or to do evil to him. There, there, there's no shades of gray in here, okay? There's not 50 shades of gray here. Not at all. Good or evil. Or, Jesus says, is it good to, to kill? He's a really strong word. Or to heal? He says those things are absolutely opposite. This is Jesus. What matters to Jesus here is this man made in his, in his, in his image has a need, and Jesus wants to meet it. Jesus doesn't see the man as lower than he is. This is the wonderful thing about Jesus, right? Is Jesus doesn't act superior to this man because he sees this man as, as one of his brothers. That Jesus lowered himself to make all of us his to make all that would believe in him his brothers. These Pharisees are looking down; they're superior to this man. So Jesus asked him this question: What's lawful to do on the Sabbath? To do good or do evil? To save life or to kill? But they remained silent. They re- Jesus, what's important here is the, is the main maintenance of our status. And so Jesus looked around at them in anger. This is good and angry. And what is displeasing Jesus is two things. Is that this man is suffering... But moreover, that these Pharisees are being oppressive to him and looking down at him as their superiors. And they care; they just see the man as an object where Jesus sees him as a fellow human being who needs his love and his care. And so he says, he looked at them in anger, good and angry. Jesus is good and angry. And we should be good and angry too. Anytime someone looks down their nose at another person made in the image of God, anytime. That's what makes God good and angry. I I, I want to confess this to you. That sometimes I begin sentences in describing people with their ethnicity. Hey, I ran into this guy. He was ethnic group. And here's what he did. Now, what am I doing when I do that? I, I do that by habit. 
But that's a bad habit. That's an evil habit. Because what I'm saying is, you're not going to be surprised by what you hear about this ethnicity. Because you see, my ethnicity is better than that ethnicity. I'm superior. My ethnicity is superior to that ethnicity. Jesus is good and angry at that kind of a heart and that kind of a language and that kind of an attitude. That matters to him because that person of that other ethnicity is a child of his that was created in his image. And that image is marred just like it's marred in me. But when I disparage or pretend that I'm better or over that other ethnicity or other person with another sexual identification or gender or another religion or they were born somewhere else, or they speak another language. When I think that I'm superior over them, I'm disparaging the image of God in that person. It's God who made them, right? It's God who made them. And God is good and angry at that. Jesus looked around at them in anger. And not only in anger, but in deep distress. This Got him. And he is good and angry. And, and now watch what happens. He's angry at their stubborn hearts, their superior hearts. They're better than other hearts. And he said to the man, man, stretch out your hand. And he stretched it out and his hand was completely restored. Wasn't that the better thing to do? But you guys are too busy maintaining your own privilege. Maintaining your own biases, your own bigotry, and your own hatred. You guys are standing back here. Hey, that guy's underneath us. Let's not bother with him. We're the important ones. And then the Pharisees went out. Now watch their anger. Then the Pharisees went out and began to plot with the Herodians how they might kill Jesus. <laughs> they're bad and angry, right? They're so angry that they're going to commit murder. They want to commit murder. And they're conspiring now to commit murder. And what is it that, they're, they're, that they're, their displeasure is all about? It's their little kingdom is getting blocked. Their, their plan for life is getting blocked. They don't, care any, they don't care anything about this man. You don't see them celebrate. There should have been a celebration there in the synagogue, right? Praise God, look at the healing of this man. What's the first thing in the front of their brains is how do we kill Jesus? They become bad and angry. And what we want to become is more and more like God. And we want to become good and angry at the things that make God good and angry. And in this last week, this last 10 days, a microcosm of our world in Charlottesville, right? And and we need to say what God is good and angry about is any person or any group that denigrates and feels that they're superior to, that God is good and angry at the Ku Klux Klan, and God is good and angry at white nationalists and supremacists, white supremacists and, and, and white nationalists, who say that they are better than fill in the blank group. God is good and angry against that. And we should be too. Amen? This is, this, see, God doesn't get, like, ticked off that his refrigerator broke down. God doesn't get good and angry that, that your wife wanted Chinese and you wanted Italian and ah, you're tangling with each other. God doesn't get good and angry that, the, that the, the cook brought you the wrong meal at the table or that your airplane was late. 
God doesn't get good and angry uh, that, that your, your, your kids aren't living up to your standards and they're not as quiet as you want them to be or they're not as good as students. God gets good and angry when His creations, men and women who are created in His image, are, are, are discounted and disparaged, disparaged, disparaged upon and who are oppressed and who are forgotten and who are talked down to and who are hated and loathed by others of His creation. That's what God gets good and angry about. And we too need to become good and angry. Whether it's against sexism or um, racism or bigotry or um, educational level or economic status. You know, let me tell you, we have all, though all of us have been created in the image of God and we're all to be loved and valued. And we want to bring Christ, don't we? We want it because it's only Christ who can restore that brokenness in the image of God. But only God is the final judge on all of that, isn't he? Let's let him be the final judge on that. And let's share that good news of Jesus Christ. And let's be bold. Let's be bold with each other. And say, you know, are you superior to those people? That's wrong. And that's evil. And that's what God is good and angry about. Now, most of that wasn't in my notes, by the way. But, but... I, I just think we got to say it, don't we? We just, we got to say what the scripture says. We got to follow Jesus where he's good and get over our bad and angry junk that never produces the righteousness that God desires. It never produces the righteousness that God desires, our bad and angry. Well, let's look a little bit more at our bad and angry here. Uh, my goodness gracious. So turn to the book of Esther with me, if you would. Esther. It's on page 492 in your Bibles there. Man, I love preaching to you guys because you just let me preach on and on and on. And uh, I'm, it's, this is cool. It's uh, 1045. So uh, this is awesome. I got another hour or so here to preach for you. Oh, that clock must be wrong. Huh? I know you're all going to run back there and put new batteries in it. <laughs> no, I'm just teasing. Esther. Chapter uh, 1. So let's turn there. Now, remember we've been saying that the essence of anger is displeasure at something that matters to us. And we just saw that in Mark chapter 3. We'll go ahead and put, slip that slide up if we could. I'm, I'm ahead of myself, I know. But displeasure is something that matters to us. This is the essence, um, this is the essence of what our bad and angry is about. It's, it's also the essence of what good and angry is about is that we're, we're, we have a dis- sense of displeasure about something that matters to us. Um, now, t- now, now, this story of Esther is a, such a cool story. If you haven't read Esther in a while, just go back and read it. I read it th- this week, and it's, it's awesome. It's a story, uh, partially the story begins with this king. His name is King Xerxes, and he's the king of the Medo-Persian Empire, and um, this huge empire. He's super powerful. He's like the most powerful person in the world, basically, at this time. And so he throws a party to celebrate. He throws this party and he invites all the movie stars, all the generals, all the princes, all the nobles, all the important people. And they have a party to end all parties, a 180-day long party. And th- this party just goes on. And there is choice food and there's, man, there's, there's everything that you'd ever want to have. This party goes on for 180 days. At the, at the end of the big, this big party with all the big wigs, he invites the rest of us in, the hoi polloi, right? 
He invites Gary in and he invites you to come to this party. He invites all the people. So this is a huge party that takes place in the city of Susa. And, and, uh, uh, and, and man, as you want. I mean, this king is just going restriction. There's no, you can drink as, and eat as much as you want. I mean, this king is just going all out. Sounds like a party at our house. And so, so uh, on the seventh day of this, the bigger party, after 180 days and then a seven-day party, on the seventh day, verse 10 of chapter 1, on the seventh day, when King Xerxes was high in spirits from wine, that's putting it fairly nicely, 187 days of partying. On the seventh day, when King Xerxes was high in spirits from wine, he commanded the seven eunuchs who served him to, verse 11, to bring before him his wife, I'm adding that, Queen Vashti, wearing her royal crown. Okay, so this huge party's going on, and uh, everybody's drunk, and King Xerxes now, he's the king of the world, right? And now what he's going to do is he's going to bring his wife in to parade her before all of his guests to show what a, what a beautiful wife he has, how he commands her, how he's got the best of everything. And so he orders, by the way, husbands, not a good idea. So when you read something in the Bible, just because you read it in the Bible doesn't mean it's what you should do. Well, honey, it's in the Bible. This is what Queen King Xerxes did. If you want to be King Xerxes very quick, <laughs> you, you, you follow this, okay? Uh, and by the way, he was created in the image of God, too. So I'm so sorry. <laughs> Those Medes and Persians. Uh, uh, so, so he wants to bring his wife in. Now, I want you to tell me what she's going to be wearing when he parades her in front of all these people. Her crown. And some Bible scholars think nothing else. Okay? You, you get in the picture here? It's not a meet and greet. You know, it's a check her out. She's going to spin around a couple of times. You know what I mean? It's just imagine. Now, that could be wrong. Doesn't matter. Whatever. She is cattle. Beautiful cattle, but cattle. And he's got a... He thinks he has a ring in her nose, and he sends his eunuchs, which is so ironic. He sends his eunuchs to grab the rope and to bring the cattle so he can show everybody what kind of cattle he's got. He, I, he's got the best cattle, right? Because that's all, he, that's all she is to him. And, you, and you're going to see that's all she is to him, what he does to her. So, so, the, so uh, he, he sends her... He sends his eunuchs um, to display, in order to display her beauty to the people and nobles, for she was, this is an interesting phrase, she was lovely to look at. I tell people that April is easy on the eyes. You know, it's that kind of a thing, right? You know, lovely to look at. And um, so the attendants... um, uh, the attendants delivered the, com- uh, verse 12, the, the, the attendants, the eunuchs, delivered the king's command. There it is again, guys. Queen Vashti refused to come. How dare she? Does she know who I am? Does she know what throne I sit on? How dare she interrupt? How dare she say no to the king of kings? 
It's my kingdom come. And if you want to interrupt my kingdom, you will pay for it with my anger. In fact, in fact, look at verse 12. But when the attendants delivered the king's command, Queen Vashti refused to come. Then the king became furious and he burned with anger. I want you to see a parallel between Xerxes and Jesus in Mark 3. They're not exactly the same words. But both of them were displeased by something that mattered to them. In Jesus' case, it's, it's people that have been made in his image that are oppressed and driven down and hurt and forgotten and treated like cattle. In Xerxes' case, it's exactly the opposite. It's his kingdom is being interrupted. His desires, his wishes, his plans are being interrupted. Isn't that exactly what happens when the kids run in front of the television yelling and screaming? Shut up, kids! Why? Because the king has a right to watch television uninterrupted, right? The king has the, has the, has the right to choose Chinese food over Italian food. That, that's easy, right? That's, that's just simple. The, 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 king, the king has the authority that his kids should not leave skateboards out in the front yard. At the end of the day, they should pick them up because he's the king, right? So bo- to both of them, something that mattered to them caused them displeasure. God's case... It's good and angry, right? Because it's something that really matters. In Xerxes' case, it's bad and angry. Remember what Jesus said in Luke 6, 4, 645? A good man brings good things out of the good stored up in his heart, and an evil man brings evil things out of the evil stored up in his heart. For the mouth speaks what the heart is full of. And when Xerxes becomes furious and he burns with anger and he gets a counsel, he didn't know what to do. He's kind of this lost King, he said, I don't know what to do. Help me. And he said, here's what you do. Is Queen, Queen Xerxes never allowed to come in your presence. Uh, excuse me. Queen Vashti is never allowed to come into your presence again. Big deal. There's another, there's another cow out there. There's another cattle out there. Just take her and put her in a stall somewhere. Because, you see, she interrupted. She embarrassed him, right? His status is affected. He wanted to show her off. He wanted everyone to go, oh, King Xerxes, you are just, you are just the, the greatest thing in the whole world. And this is, this is, is it, whenever we express our angry, good or bad, we are saying what we love and what we value. And what King Xerxes loved and valued was not Queen Vashti. What King Xerxes loved and valued was himself. And when I'm grouchy, it shows that I value myself. When I'm complaining and kvetching and it, it, show, it shows that my kingdom is being bumped and, and bumped into when I'm argumentative or when I'm bitter or when I'm threatening or when I'm um, self-righteous anger. I'm so right and you're so wrong. Can't you see that? I'm the king. I, I, I don't understand this. Why you think You have a right to the road to 805. This is my lane. In fact, all four lanes and the sides are mine too, by the way. This is my kingdom. And this matters to me, right? This matters to me. I'm the big deal here and you're not. There's the essence of bad and angry displeasure at something that matters to us. Now, I've got three questions. If you answer the first two, you'll have the answer to the third. Here's three questions to help us understand, is our anger good or bad? 
The first one is, why does this matter so much? So when, when I'm angry, the question is, why does this matter so much? So why does it matter so much that uh, April wants Italian and I want Chinese or whatever in the world it is? Why does that matter so much to me? You know, isn't it weird? I mean, April and I have had, have had arguments, and about three-quarters of the way through the argument, I have no idea what we're arguing about anymore. But I'm too proud to go, honey, I'm so sad to need to tell you. Can you remind me so I can get mad again what it was that we're arguing about? Right, right? But I can't, right? Because it matters to me that I'm right. That just, I mean, that's just an indicator, isn't it? It's all about my kingdom, right? I've got to be right. I don't know what I'm right about, but I've got to be right. And you've got to be convinced, and you've got to get down on your knees and confess how right I am, right? Until then, we're not going to stop this argument. We're still having that argument. Can you remember what that was about four years ago, honey? Oh, you can. Oh, <laughs> oh my wife. You know, when we get to heaven, I'm going to be going to... April, April, what's Jesus look like? Because <laughs> I'm going to be way in the back, and she's going to be way, in, she's going to be sitting on his lap and uh, with some of you and not me, not me. So why does it matter so much? And, and what do we fear? What am I afraid of if this doesn't happen? What's King Xerxes afraid of? Well, he's afraid of, he's going to lose status. He's going to lose control. He's not going to be the big wig. He's not going to be important if his wife says no to him. I mean, what, what a jerk the guy was, right? Anyway, anyway. And, and, then when, and then when she says no, I mean, he should have come to his senses and go, oh, my gosh, I just asked the most stupid. What a self-centered thing to ask my wife to do. But he didn't, did he? He, just, he got more angry, more furious. And, and I don't know if he knew what the argument was about. And when we answer these two questions, we answer the third question. And the third question is, who's at the center of my universe? And, 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 and who's at the center of my universe is me when my anger is bad. There's something gone awry in my heart. Something's gone broken in my heart. I have a heart disease. And the sin beneath all of the sins of anger, all of the symptoms of anger, big, little, loud, quiet, doesn't matter. The sin beneath the sin is that I put, I'm worshiping me. Is that I put myself on the throne. And I got this heart disease and I need a heart transplant bad because I've become the center of the universe. And so I'm entitled. I'm entitled to you not disturbing me. I'm entitled to you agreeing with me. I'm, dis- I'm entitled to the- you, you get what I get. You know, I- I'm entitled to you getting out of my lane. I'm, 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 I'm entitled because I'm the king, because I'm God. That- that's where that bad and angry always come from. It's about the maintenance of my pleasure or my status or my comfort or my, my power. My, 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 my. So Friday, I was so busy on Friday and uh, working on the pathways training and trying to wrap the message up and, and several other things. And so, I don't know, about 1 o'clock or so, 1.15, I, I got out for lunch. I just, I got to eat something. I'm dying. So I ran down to Subway real quick. And I went into, because Subway is such a fast place to get food. Wrong. There was only three of us. Two people working there and three customers. And the customer in front of me in a line, I know, I, I know they were created by God. 
And I know they bear the image of God. I know that. But I don't think this person had ever been in a restaurant before, ever. Because this person said, he said, um, what kind of bread do you have? And I'm thinking, this is Subway, right? And they have bread here. And, and the girl behind the counter, she was so cool. She said, they're listed right up here. And so, oh, well, could I see the uh, oat bran? And when she said see, she meant see. <laughs> it was a person. I'm going to go back and forth on the gender because both genders, okay? It's just kind of a fun thing I do. Uh, and so... <laughs> It, <laughs> this person, <laughs> it was a woman. And, and men are bigger jerks. So this is a minor jerk thing. So this woman said, could I see the old brand? And so the person pulled it out and showed it to him and said, well, and she, and she said, that's too big. And, and the lady said, well, we can cut it in half, six inch, 12 inch, kind of a new, new concept in Subway sandwiches. <laughs> That's what I'm thinking. Now, the, the, the girl on the counter was so cool. But I'm just starting to... Uh, and, and then, uh, no, I don't think that. So put it back. What other kind of bread do you have? The kinds listed up here. And how about that? What's that cheese bread look like? It looks like cheese bread. I want to say to her. And so she brought the cheese bread out and smelled it a little bit. And, you know, and yeah, oh, that's good. And then the third kind of... Six different kinds of bread were examined while I'm standing behind this human being created in the image of God. (laughs) Working on a sermon about bad and angry. And I wanted to say to her, don't you know that I'm going to be preaching about anger on Sunday? And I don't need another illustration about it. But I didn't. I just was seething inside. I'm just watching my watch go by. It's 4.30 in the afternoon. And I'm on point three of my message. I, I got another hour and a half. I can, it's 10.15. I can preach another two hours at Paseo del Rey. You see, she should have seen it the way that I see it. And, 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 and see, how dare she cross my almighty will. My kingdom come, ma'am. My will be done. Oh. You see, you see, you see, your sin of anger and my sin of anger, are, 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 they're not trite little things. They're symptomatic of something broken deep down inside of you and me. And that is that we are playing God. Is God... Instead of God being on the throne of our lives, we're on the throne of our lives. And what we need is a new heart, right? We need to be washed clean by the blood of Jesus Christ. We need to repent. We need to stop justifying our bad and angry. Well, it's not that Yeah, If you would have been in the situation. No, no, no. We need to stop justifying our bad and angry because it's, it's idolatry. Our bad and anger is idolatry. And God does not like idolatry at all. And in fact, God died on the cross to forgive you, to pay the price for your idolatry so that you come back into his family. That's, Jesus died on the He shed his blood so that you could be washed clean of that sin. That sin, the sins of rage and 
fighting and anger and shouting and bitterness and all of those things. But he died for the root too, for the cause that it's, it's all about my kingdom come and my will be done. We need to ask Jesus to create in us a new heart. And so we go to Psalm 51. Let's turn to Psalm 51 in our Bibles here. This, um, this, this great um, psalm of, of confession, of repentance. David, who has just sinned, continued to sin horrendously, not just once, but he's lied and he's, 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 he's hidden and he's committed adultery and he's lied and he's hidden and he's committed murder and he's lied and he's hidden. And finally, finally, he realized, he stops justifying his sin and he turns to the Lord, chapter 51 of, of uh, the Psalms. Have mercy on me, O God, according to your unfailing love, according to your great compassion. Blot out my transgressions. Wash away my iniquity and cleanse me from sin. See, that's what we need. We don't need ten more steps at how not to be angry. We need to be cleaned of our sin. We need to be washed by the blood of Jesus Christ that takes away all of our sins. That's what you and I need. You need to repent, and I need to repent. Of our kingdom come, our will be done. We need, to, we need to repent of our superiority over other groups of people, over other ethnicities, over other races, over other sexual orientations, over, over, over other languages, over, over people from other countries. We've got to repent. We need to reach them for Jesus Christ, to take the good news to all peoples that Jesus that Jesus forgives our sins and brings us back into, our, into, into His family. And he, he irons and makes more beautiful the image of God that is in us. Um, uh, verse, verse 3 of Psalm 51, For I know my transgressions, and my sin is always before me. And look, look what he says here. He says, I didn't just sin against Bathsheba. I didn't just sin against her husband. When you got angry... I didn't just sin against that lady in front of me. Even though I didn't say a word to her, I declared raka to her, didn't I? Like, what a fool you are inside of my heart without even saying a word. And and he says, not only have you sinned against that person, but he says, uh, verse 4, against you. And you only even says, have I sinned and done what is evil in sight. You see, my bad and angry is really angry against God because I'm competing for the throne. God, you get off the throne. I don't like you on the throne. I want to be on the throne of my life. And, and, and look what he says there in verse 4. Um, uh, so you were right in your verdict. You, you see, I don't, I, don't, I don't repent of my sin just because it's painful. I repent of my sin because it's sin. Because it's utterly sinful against God. That's why we should repent of our sin. What does he say in 7? Cleanse me with hyssop and I will be clean. Wash me and I will be whiter than snow. Your cleansing this morning comes at a staggering cost. The blood of Jesus Christ. But He waits for you here. He waits for you at this table. And I, I want you to know that repentance of whatever we repent of today, repentance is not more condemnation. Repentance is freedom because Jesus has already forgiven you for your sins. He just wants you to come and fess up and say, oh, God, you were right all along. And it's, it's like a friend that you've offended greatly. And you're, you're worried about how do you apologize? How do you, how do you tell them how sorry you are? And, and even, as, even, as they, 
you see them coming to you. And they hug you and they kiss you and they embrace you. They already love you. And then you say, I'm so sorry. And they're already embracing you. That's what repentance is. That's what this table reminds us of. Is that Jesus has died in your place to bring you back into the family. To love you again. To continue to love you. He's never stopped loving you. To embrace you and to make you his. Our cleansing comes at a staggering cross cost. But look what it does for us in verse 8. Let me hear joy and gladness. Let the bones you have crushed rejoice. Verse, verse 10. Created me, God, a new heart, a pure heart, and a steadfast spirit, the Holy Spirit within me. Verse, verse 12. Restore to me through my repentance, Lord, the joy of your salvation. And look at this. Grant me a willing spirit to sustain me. To help me to say no to my bad and anger. To get, my, get me down off of, the, off of the throne as I get back on there. And this morning we want to invite you to this table. And, and if you need to repent, we want you to come. And feel his arms around you afresh as you repent. It may be about your anger. It may be about something else that's going on in your life. But boy, repentance is this amazing grace from God. Where he washes you clean. He reminds you how clean you are in his sight. And he puts his spirit in. He builds building a new heart. And he says, let me be on the throne of your life. It's there that you discover this joy.